You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Jason. Good morning again, and happy Mother's Day to all mothers who are with us here on our campus as well as online. I was so blessed this past weekend, even this morning, by the video, because it talks about motherhood being that spiritual mother, being that mentoring mother, being that mother of natural birth and also adoption. At every level, moms, we're very grateful and blessed by you. Happy Mother's Day in this place today. And I want to tell you, we'll give you a shout out, God's special gifting upon you to be that mother in a spiritual way, in a mentoring way of women to women, and also in natural birth and adoption. Thank you for this, and thank God for His blessings. And by the way, on Mother's Day, men in this place, we are to honor them, and we are to love them as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for them. So from all of us to all of you, happy Mother's Day today. We're in our series called Mark, Season 1. Still there. We picked it up a couple of weeks ago, going verse by verse, chapter by chapter in Mark's Gospel to see what God wants to teach us and has for us to apply to our lives in our world today. Beginning of Mark 5 last week, we picked up where Jesus had gotten the other side of the lake. They just finished a massive storm, a hurricane, earthquake-type storm of seismic proportions that Christ calmed with one word, They land on the seashore on the other side of the lake, and by divine appointment, a man comes out of the tombs to meet Jesus. He comes down to meet Jesus right on the shore as the boat has landed by a divine appointment where Christ's divinity met something in the man called total depravity. We are so depraved referring to God, we have nothing to bring but everything that we need. Total depravity of man confronted Christ's divinity, divine encounter, a miracle truly happened. Christ spoke in that man's life. His life was there changed forever. We all have faced that in our lives. These two stories lead up to today show us this, that Christ will calm both outer and inner storms by His authority. Christ calmed a storm in nature. Christ then calmed a storm in the soul of this man's life. Christ will calm your storms and mine. When he met Jesus, Mark 5, it says he came and he, he bowed down. He, he knelt down before him. Now, kneeling down before Jesus usually means worship. But what you have right there with that man was not genuine, authentic worship. What happened was, in their day, there was a teaching that said, in the spiritual realms, if the spirits could get the name called out properly first, they would get the upper hand on who they're battling. So the, the spirits go, you know what? We're calling Jesus by name, bowing here. And we're going to see if we can get the upper hand. Well, they didn't. Christ, of course, persevered. The man was delivered. He was in his right mind. He was brought to, brought to health and made whole. So he did not do that. But right there was not worship. They were not acknowledging Christ for that purpose. Now, as Christ, he was commanded to leave. As he landed back on the other side of the lake, once again, what we're going to see today is another encounter, divine encounter, resulting in an amazing collision. A collision between, again, Christ's divinity, being the Son of God, God in the flesh, with mankind. But it's not 
demons he's going to encounter. It's a God, Christ's divinity coming face to face with a desperate cry. This man, in his desperation, cries out before Jesus. This man comes, named Jairus. He comes for Jesus. He, he falls. He literally falls at Jesus' feet. Not just bowing. He falls at Jesus' feet. Christ's divinity coming face to face with a desperate cry. Question, what if tomorrow morning you saw this news headline on the TV news, it was on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those things in social media that we can name a plethora of. You said this headline, daughter of religious leader brought back to life. What would you do? Then it went on to say, in an unprecedented situation, the daughter of Jairus, one of our religious leaders, died at their home yesterday. While the funeral was already in motion and mourners were already mourning, a man named Jesus came into the house and brought her back to life. If that's what you read, what would be your response? I'd be like, what? Really? I'd probably go and read more, read everything I could gather about this story, about this miracle that took place in this little girl's life. This man named Jairus had this happen, and he comes to Jesus. As soon as he lands, he falls at Jesus' feet. He's overwhelmed at this point. Not overwhelmed by demons like the previous man, but he's overwhelmed by his daughter's poor health and imminent death without a miracle. He comes in desperation seeking out Jesus for his dying daughter, and he does indeed fall at Jesus' feet in worship. Here's what I want us to see from the message today is this big truth. Desperate people do things differently than they would otherwise do. Desperate people do things differently than they would otherwise do. That's what we see here in Jairus' life. This rich, powerful, influential man comes falling on his knees with a desperate cry on his lips for his young and only daughter who is at the very moment dying. He comes surrendering. He comes submitting to Jesus, begging Him to do what only He can do. If you're a parent in this place, you can empathize and sympathize with Jairus at this moment. If you're a person, you're breathing today. I believe with all my heart you can empathize and sympathize with Jairus at this moment. The word is spreading rapidly about Christ, His reputation for His teaching and His healing. Now, everywhere He goes, as we see in the Scriptures, the crowd follows Him. Matter of fact, at this point, in Christ's ministry, His travels, it wasn't just a crowd, it was entire villages and cities coming to see Jesus. That's the multitudes we're talking about, how massive we're talking. And he got to the point that they were just gathering in droves to Jesus. He lands on the other side of the lake. Once again, he'd gone back over here, met the demon-possessed man, said, leave us. He leaves, comes back to the other side where he started from. He meets Jairus. Before he does, he encounters the crowd. Look at verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again, my boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was on the sea. Now in the middle of this crowd was a man in this huge crowd named Jairus who was seeking out Jesus, desperately seeking Jesus for a huge need in his life. Now look how Mark describes him. Verse 22, very critical. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. 
Now, he is described as a synagogue leader. Given this position, he is an extremely unlikely person to do this. Highly unlikely to do this. Because, but the need in his family changed every bit of that. By reputation, by his calling, by his job, his position, his status, this didn't happen. He had heard about Jesus, heard about his reputation for healing, and he's come to ask Jesus for the healing of his daughter. See, Jairus is rich, and being rich, he's most likely sought out the best doctors of his day, sought out everything he could do to get the best care for her, but she's gotten progressively worse, and is now at this moment that he finds Jesus, she's in the process of dying. He's probably been told there's no hope. There's no hope. She's all but gone. So in desperation, he goes, Jesus, I've heard about him. I've heard about his reputation. I've heard how he teaches. I've heard how he heals. Maybe, maybe Jesus can help my daughter. You have to know that religious leaders like Jairus, as he's identified here, didn't like Jesus that much. Matter of fact, they didn't like him at all because he messed with their religious system. See, Jairus was a religious leader, and so before this moment, he's probably not too thrilled about Jesus because they simply did not like Jesus. But there again, but desperate people do things differently than they would otherwise do. Nothing else had worked and isn't going to work, so he does something that he would not otherwise do. In desperation, he comes to Jesus saying, what if? It's true. What if Jesus can help her? So get this picture. I can picture this happening because the crowd is gathering. The boat has just landed. He's journeying from his house. He sees this massive crowd. He realizes Jesus is somewhere in this crowd. He's wandering the streets going, where is Jesus? Anybody seen Jesus? Where is he at? He's pushing through the crowd. He's making his way, desperately trying to find Jesus. This rich powerful man of authority finally finds him. He just falls. You see, Jairus didn't fall at anybody's feet. Matter of fact, people fell at his feet. But here he falls at Jesus' feet. Unlike the demon-possessed man, Jairus falls in worship. Question. Have you ever been at that place of desperation? Are you in that place right now? Have you found yourself realizing nothing but Jesus will get done what needs to get done? Are you that person? And I will make a statement to you right now on testimony that I will share in a few moments. If you don't realize this and admit your desperation to Jesus, life will make you desperate. Promise. You will, you will realize it and admit it, or life will make you desperate one way or another. Life had made Jairus desperate. You find yourself fighting desperately to get to Jesus because you know he's the only one who can take care of your crisis. You're ready to fight through any and all obstacles to get to Jesus. Desperation causes you to deny, and here's our problems. Desperation will cause us to deny all pride. 
deny all ego, deny all ambition, deny all position. Desperation drives decision-making in a totally different direction. As is often said, desperate times call for desperate measures. You know what desperation says? This is the loose definition. Here's what it says. I need help. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I'm totally hopeless and utterly helpless. So Jairus, he pushes through the crowd and tells Jesus what he needs. Then you can only imagine the joy in his heart, the excitement in his life at this moment when Jesus says, okay, I'll go with you. Look at verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Stop. Right there, for, freeze for a minute. Simple words. So Jesus went with him. That's the words he wanted to hear. So here off they go in urgency to get to Jairus' daughter because of critical situation. The language he uses is she's going to die unless Jesus comes. But there's another problem. Just like most everywhere Jesus went, there was the crowd. And the crowd's all around. Jesus is stopping him. Look at verse 24 at the end. And a large crowd was following and pressing against him. At this point, the situation has changed drastically because Christ has agreed to come. Jairus fought through the crowd to get to Jesus. He's agreed to come. Now, Jairus is fighting through the crowd to get Jesus out of the crowd and to his little girl. It's like trying to get out of a ball game or get out of a concert when it's 30,000 people that you try to get through because you've you got an urgency, but you can't get through because they're blocked. You can't get out. He's trying to get Jesus out of the crowd. But you know what? Desperation makes you determined. You might think you're determined, but if you're not desperate, you're not really determined. Desperation makes you determined. As they're fighting through the crowd, here it comes. Here comes that unexpected, unwelcome delay, that unexpected distraction, that apparent disruption. A woman who has a blood disease from 12 long years, battling it, hears about Jesus. She's hopeless. She's helpless. Tried all the doctors. Nothing was helping. And she thinks, if I can just get to Jesus and touch His very clothes, I will be healed. She does. Christ says, who touched me? And the disciples go, who touched you? All these people? But Christ knows it went out of him. She admits it. So Christ stops, spends time with her, and tells her her faith has made her well. Now, fast forward to getting into verse 35. How do you think Jairus feels right about now? Right about now, Jairus has to be so frustrated. He has been fighting to get Jesus through the crowd and to his daughter while there's still time, and he has no idea how much time he has, but he knows with every tick of the clock, time is wasting. His daughter's life hangs in the balance. Right about now, I have to admit, Jairus feels like he's been cut in line. Question, have you ever had, have you ever had someone cut you off in line? Cut in front of you in line? Grocery store? Restaurants? Amusement park? Traffic. You ever been cut in line before? Well, if you haven't, I have. And I've got to be honest. My thoughts at that moment in time are not very Christ-like. To be very blunt and transparent. How'd you feel? If you felt any better than that, 
please come and counsel me because I need help. Because I have not had good thoughts when I get cut in line. I sat there going, really? I've been standing here waiting my turn, and here you come jumping in front of me. The audacity of you. Again, counsel with me later. I'll, I'll receive it because I just don't have the right attitude on that. But right here, Jairus has to be feeling the same thing. It's like, really? We're on a timetable here. We're on a crunch of time in my daughter's life, and you're stopping right now? From Jairus' perspective, this woman is just cut in line. And now they're more delayed in getting to his daughter. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel right now? I think confused, angry, resentful, all kind of things probably crossing his mind because he's been cut in line. And as a matter of fact, what Christ did right here was probably considered malpractice in the medical field because in an urgent situation, you treat the most urgent first. You grade people that you can wait. I've got to get to this crisis over here because this person is more critical than you are. Take the urgency of the moment that comes in at that time. Christ is going to help this woman. And Jerry's probably going, she's lived with it 12 years. She's not dying. She can last a little longer until you get back. Come to my daughter. She's dying. Jairus then gets the devastating news he tried to avoid. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came to the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In just a moment, in just a few words, the situation has totally changed. And I believe Jairus' initial thoughts would probably have been like if Jesus hadn't stopped to help this lady, he possibly could have saved my daughter's life. But he stopped. At this moment, I think it's obvious that Jairus is without hope and feels as if things are over. But what he does not know is he came seeking a healing, but he's getting ready to receive a resurrection. He has no idea. At this moment, though, he's devastated. And I've got to ask you to ponder this. When this happens, when Jesus, when they come up and give the words, your daughter is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore, do you ever think Jesus stood there and go, goes, oh no, I missed it. If I hadn't stopped up this lady, then she might be alive. He didn't do that. He's in control. He's in charge. If you remember the same thing happened with Lazarus, which we're going to study in our connect groups this week. Lazarus dies, or he's sick, and Christ intentionally waits four days for coming to Lazarus' side be by his family and his sisters go if you had come when you we told you our brother would not have died he'd still be alive and jesus says i'm the resurrection and life do you believe this and he raises lazarus out of the grave same thing when jesus look at verse 36 when jesus overheard what was said he told the synagogue leader jairus don't be afraid only believe there's that word afraid again in mark's gospel that word that was used in the storm. The disciples were afraid. They're panic-stricken, worried, panicking for their very lives. Jesus is asleep. They go to wake him up. That feeling of panic and out of control. Now Christ knows Jairus is afraid because he says, don't be afraid. If somebody comes to you and says, don't be afraid, what does that mean? You are afraid. He's afraid. 
But notice, Jesus didn't say don't be afraid and believe. What does he say? Look at the verse again. He says, not believe, but only believe. Why did he say that? You know what he's telling Jairus? Stop fearing and be believing. Stop fearing and be believing. Don't try to believe and be afraid at the same time. Don't try to believe and figure it all out. Don't try to believe and make sense of this delay. Only believe. Jesus is also telling him this, believe in what you will see today and believe in what you will hear about me in the future. Right about now, I think Jairus is going, huh? What? But in time, a little while he's going to be like, oh yeah. They arrive at the house. The funeral is in motion. They did not embalm people. Therefore, a funeral started immediately after death. And they had a whole protocol of how they handled these things. And it was not our very somber, laid back, very worshipful moments. They were loud. They were mourning. They were, they were just out of control, weeping and wailing. Matter of fact, ripping clothes off. They had guidelines how to rip your clothes off at a funeral. They were, they were grieving. That's what Christ walks up on. Verse 37 he sees this, and it says 37, He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion. That's a mild word. People weeping and wailing loudly. He gets in this scene that's out of control, grieving for this girl. And Christ comes in with what would be considered bitter scorn. 39, he says, He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. This would be like us sitting at a funeral in this place, as we have several, and you're sitting here, you see the coffin, you've seen the person there, we're doing the service, somebody walks in and goes, why are y'all here? They're not dead, they're just asleep. asleep. You're going, somebody call 911 because we witnessed this, we saw this, we're here, this person don't know what they're talking about. And they look at Jesus and they're like, he does not know what he's talking about. He says, you guys, you made a mistake. She is just asleep. Now, a question would be rising here. Why did Jesus say that, to say that she's, to say nothing and walk in to heal her? Why did he go on and say she's asleep? Death in their culture was often referred to as those who have fallen asleep. Death is more final, but falling asleep has a connotation of waking up. See, mourning and wailing was not appropriate because the girl had hope of life after death, Christ used the imagery of sleep to indicate her condition was temporary. Yes, she's comatose. She's out. Her eyes are closed, but she's sleeping. She's not dead. It's not final. Christ's response to them is like, hey, I think you made a mistake. She's just taking a nap. And they're like, you are out of your mind. As re referenced here in verse 40, was it say? They laughed at him. Now, don't throw stones because probably we would as well. They laughed at him. Here's the statement that Jesus laughed, got laughed at several times before his miracles. But he was never laughed at after his miracles. They might have laughed beforehand. They're not going to laugh when it's over. So Christ, I love verse 40, says he put them all out. He said, you don't believe, out. Mom, Dad, come on, Peter, James, and John, come on. Look at verse 40. But he put them all outside, 
took the child's mother, father, and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Jesus had this inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and his wife. They're looking at this little girl, the 12-year-old girl, their daughter, who now is in the presence of Christ. She is not breathing. Jesus does something that without a doubt baffled them initially, but quickly blew their minds. 41, he says, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. This phrase, Talitha kum, is a very fascinating phrase, only in Mark's gospel. Talitha is, in the Aramaic, it's a word that is, means a pet name. Literally means little girl. I have a daughter, my third child, Jordan. My reference to her, why I have no idea, but my reference to her is pumpkin. I don't know how it got started, but it got started. So Talita to her is pumpkin. Pet name. This girl was, since Christ didn't know, it was a little girl. It's literally like saying, honey, dear one. Kum is a gentle word meaning, get on up. It's like what you would say when you're trying to gently wake somebody up from a nap. So in other words, Jesus didn't go into the room and shout commands. Christ has quietly sat down on her bedside with her mother by his side, her father by their side, and took her hand. And I could just envision this so vividly as Christ would do. He walks into the room. This girl's lying there. She is dead, but death is not the final deal with him. Christ walks over in that Talitha Kum mindset. He walks over and he kneels down by her bedside. And he takes her by the hand. With one hand, he's got her hand right here. And he began stroking her hand. He began stroking her face. And all of a sudden, he just goes very gently. Talitha Kum. Talitha Kum. In other words, honey, it's time to get up. And all of a sudden, their eyes open. There's life where there was death. Miracle has taken place in their presence. Because look what happens. Immediately, verse 42, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this, they were utterly astounded. Not just astounded, but utterly astounded, of course. Understatement of the world. Then he gave strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. When Jairus witnessed what Christ had done for his daughter, his fear was transformed into faith. No longer fearing, but full of faith. So what is Jesus trying to teach us here? He's teaching us that the most feared, devastating enemy known to mankind has ever known called death is not the end for a believer. Christ is showing us that death itself is nothing more than a little, little nap for him. This miracle was a sign pointing to the fact that Jesus is greater than the grave. A sign of what it was to come in his own resurrection. Christ showing us he is greater than all things, even death. What that means for you and me is through Jesus, we have victory over the grave. Through his death and victory over the grave, we have life. When you and I put our faith in him, our trust in him as Savior and Lord, who died in our place on the cross, resurrected from the grave, we have abundant life here and now, life everlasting with Him. We know Christ Jesus, this life is not the end, it's just the beginning. 
Years ago, the late Steve Jobs was in an interview, the founder of Apple. They asked him, Steve, do you believe in God? He said, throughout my life, I've been unsure, but as I approach death, I do more and more. Because if the human body is just a biological machine, then when it's turned off, it's over. But that can't be right. He said, I don't want it to be right. He said, incidentally, that's why Macs, Mac products, don't really have an off and on switch. I don't like the idea of being turned off. When you and I know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are not turned off. Last breath here is first breath in eternity. We're not turned off. I want to ask you, are you at the place where you would say this, what I thought was working isn't working anymore, and I'm desperate. As I said earlier, desperate people do things differently than they would otherwise do. Are you at the place in your life where you realize you need Jesus in your life? Things aren't working the way you've had them going. Are you desperate for Jesus to do what, he, what only He could do in your life? Have you trusted Him as your Savior and your Lord this very day, this very moment right now? Have you done that? Do you have something in your life that you would say has made you realize you're totally helpless, hopeless and utterly helpless? Would you say that you've reached a place of desperation in your life? I said earlier, if you're not desperate, if you don't realize how desperate you are, how totally hopeless and utterly helpless you are without Jesus, you don't realize that and admit that to Him on your own, I promise you this, life will make you devastated. Life will do it for you. It has a way of doing that. Jairus, life was good, life was great, life was going along. Rich, prosperous, high position in society, people bowed at his feet. But that all changed when his daughter was dying. Life had a way of making him desperate. I've realized this in my own life, this truth. As, me, as all of you, most all of you know, Debbie and I are on an 11-year journey now with cancer. Back late September, we hit another hurdle. Numbers were out the roof. We were devastated. And I'd reached the point of saying, God, I don't know. And I, as I will do a lot, I walked, I left my desk, walked outside, just started walking and praying. And my, prayer, my prayers were not very pleasant at times as I was walking and screaming at the sky, crying, lifting up our, scenario, our situation. And in that desperate cry, I realized this truth. And I finally said the words to God, finally. I said, God, I can't fix this. I can't do this, but you can. You know, and God spoke to me as clearly then as I'm speaking to you, you speak to me. God said, you finally get it. 
you finally get it. Let me have it. Let me have it. So I said, God is yours. She's yours. We're yours. God says, you got it. I want to challenge you. Don't wait on life to make you desperate. Tell him that before life ever turns, take that turn on you. Cry out to him. Surrender, submit to him in your life. God is faithful. God will walk with us in these journeys. Are you at that place? If not, make it your place. That's when you hear Christ calling out to you for healing in your life. We're going to sing a song right now and worship in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my help, my strength, my song. Let that be your cry today. Let's stand together and worship in song. Father, I pray that we would understand that life has a way of just devastating us. Life has a way of just bringing us to a place where we admit that we're desperate, that we can't do it, but you can. Father, I pray this day we would realize physically, spiritually, emotionally, every way possible in this life, we can't, but you can. And we must be at a place of desperation to lift it to you, to leave it with you, to bring it to you, because you're the one that can and we can't. God, just have your way as we cry out to you, acknowledging that it's in you alone that our hope is found. You're our strength and our light and our hope. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.